Carol, tell tell us about what the what what you are and what the growth company is in, in a nutshell. So I work for the Good Employment Charter Unit, which basically is responsible for the implementation and delivery of the Good Employment Charter. We are accountable to the combined authority because this is a mayoral initiative, but we're hosted by the growth company. So we're able to kind of work across to larger organisations within Greater Manchester and have that connectivity as well across lots of businesses within Greater Manchester as well. And the growth company is a kind of what non-governmental organisation that is working with getting what people into work across the country. How, how, how would you describe it? It works for Greater Manchester, although it has contracts for delivery using government funding in other parts of the country as well. But it's predominantly there to assist with the delivery of government programmes to help the um, economy, to help employers with different aspects of their business, whether that's kind of like startups or whether it's specific advice and support around things like if they're a manufacturing business about challenges that they may be facing, uh, upskilling, identifying skills gaps, et cetera, and identifying funding that might help those businesses to find solutions. So why do you, why do you do it, Carol? What, what got you into this? Was it a desire to help people or was something from your own experience or someone that made a difference in your past or something? What's, what's the reason you do this job? I think for me, the thing that I like about this job is I've, I've been in roles in the past where I've worked with lots of employers, uh, particularly around apprenticeships and upskilling of people. And so because the charter is all about kind of making improvements within the workplace and making the workplace a better be for both the employer and the individual, it kind of resonated with me because you spend a significant part of your life with people you work with, you know, the numbers of years that you spend at work. And so because it's such an important part of your life, it's 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 crucial really that you enjoy it and and that you feel satisfied and feel that you're getting something from it. So I love it because the charter enables us to have some of those interesting conversations with employers and, and help them to improve their work practice. So, so tell us about the Good Employment Charter. It's quite an unusual novel initiative, isn't it? Well, tell us about it. What, what's it trying to achieve? So the charter was set up, well, the, the original idea came from uh, Andy Burnham. It's a mayoral initiative. So when he was first running uh, to become mayor of Greater Manchester, as part of the, the kind of work and, and the research um, that he was doing, He'd noticed that there were several issues within Greater Manchester that affected our economy. And it was things like, you know, the uh, inequalities that people weren't always uh, able to have fair access to employment opportunities. And so, you know, recognizing that, for example, a lack of flexible work opportunities, there were many people, such as people with caring responsibilities, you know, looking after children or looking after elderly parents because we've got an aging demographic were often precluded from accessing job roles lots of people that were struggling to make ends meet because they weren't being paid the real living wage and so this initiative um, strives and encourages employers to to pay the real living wage and at that time as well you may recall that there was quite a significant rise in the gig economy with people therefore on zero hours contracts and not having a secure income or knowing when they were going to be working from one day to the next. And so, you know, planning your kind of life around that sort of instability as a detrimental and knock-on effect to other aspects of your life. And so when Andy became mayor, he carried out a consultation exercise that took probably about 18 months, speaking to the great and the good. That included employers, kind of, you know, public, private, third sector, key stakeholders like the Chamber of Commerce, 
people like CIPD, ACAS, lots of other uh, organisations, just to get a feel as to what would good employment look like for Greater Manchester. And out of that consultation came the backbone of the Good Employment Charter and the seven characteristics that form the kind of structure of it. So what? So there's a few things you've said that seem pertinent to what sort of good employment looks like. Um, one of them is exclusion, really, is that there are lots of different cohorts of people that are either underrepresented or not represented, find it hard to get into work. And that can be racial, it could be social, it can be gender-based, it can be time-of-life-based. And that's really important, not morally, not just morally, but we, we, we need skilled work now. We need people, don't we, in Greater Manchester? We can't find enough good people. So there's an economic necessity now as well as a moral one, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And, and that's one of the, the aims of the, the charter as well, is to try and recognise that there's lots of hidden talent out there in, in, in the workplace, in the, in the labour market. We were hemorrhaging some of that talent as well to other parts of the country. So, you know, how do we retain that talent? And Because that was a thing, wasn't it, Carol? People just used to take the train down to Euston and stay there for 10 years, didn't they? Yeah, and it's... exactly. And, you know, so now we've got an opportunity. Because we're working with employers that, because the charter is voluntary, there's no cost associated with becoming involved. And the word that we've often used is that it's a movement and it's a movement of like-minded employers that want to do the right thing. And so some of those things around the inequalities are threaded right the way through the Good Employment Charter. And so things like looking at the diversity of a workforce, trying to identify where there are gaps in terms of representation, where people aren't being afforded opportunities that they should be being afforded, are picked up in those characteristics. So predominantly the recruitment characteristic, you know, where we're looking at fair and transparent recruitment and during our process, we ask employers about that process. You know, things like, is it anonymized? Are recruiting managers receiving unconscious bias training? How do people place adverts for roles? Are they placing them in communities where people that haven't previously applied for roles, you know, are they getting to see those opportunities? So lots and lots of little things that we're, we're kind of pushing, we're picking up on. And then we're trying to share the good practice that we're finding with other employers that are involved in the charter as well through our webinars and through our resources that we curate um, and develop for, for use by the employers. It's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white middle class man. I'm extremely aware that I am. And if our company was just full of people like me, we would be so much less well off <laughs> than we are <laughs> that we're not. But also there aren't enough of me. So we need everybody, don't we? We need all types of people to, to prosper in the workplace. So for that reason, I guess you're convinced that an inclusive, diverse company is a successful company. Is that, is that, is that the sort of, is that the thing that underpins the good employment charter? If you sign up and if you abide by it, you will be more successful as an employer. That's certainly the message that, that we're giving and that you you kind of, you are making opportunities more accessible. You are actually consciously thinking about that inclusivity. And you're actually making deliberate decisions to address any areas of inequality and where there are kind of that, those gaps in representation, whether it's from certain communities or whether it's skills gaps, et cetera. And what we're trying to do is, is to act as a catalyst for people to have some of those conversations about, you know, what is it we're wanting to achieve and how do we go about achieving it rather than people just paying lip, lip service to it. 
Can you give me some examples, Carol, about things that you, you know, things that are good practices, things that companies don't do, or things that the good employers do do? Just like three or four things that are in the charter that you think, yeah, that's that's something that we've really helping companies bring in. I think one of the the big ones is around the real living wage. Um, that's the only binary characteristic that we have. Binary being you're either you binary, either do you it, or it or you don't, or you don't do it. Pay it, and and yeah. to become a member of the charter, we insist that you do pay it. And what's been quite interesting about that is we've had quite a few employers that have, have said, oh, we, you know, we can't possibly afford to pay the real living wage to people. That'll have a detrimental impact on our bottom line. But then when they've actually looked at it more closely and they've realized that the, the actual benefits that they will gain because they'll retain staff, they're not having to go out and re-advertise roles where people have left because they're not happy because they're not being paid enough. Or they can't, or they've had a life, or they've had a moment in life, which means they can't afford to work there anymore. Yeah, exactly. And also not having to reinvest in training somebody else as well. So they're getting that loyalty. And that, I mean, I've just, just been to an employer this morning who's talked about the impact of paying the real living wage that that has had upon their workforce in terms of that retention and the real business benefits. It's a happier place to work as well, and therefore staff are more productive. And, and even employers that have been kind of supportive of the real living wage, because we go that one step further and ask them to look at their supply chains as well. So, you know, looking at if they have contracted cleaners or contracted caterers, for example, are they extending that payment down that supply chain? And some people have said, oh gosh, we've never really looked that closely before. And when they have, realise that those supply chain employees are not being paid it. And therefore, when they've gone out to tender again, they've insisted that it's cascaded down the line. So that's been really good because that's helped some people in perhaps some of the more vulnerable and foundation economies then be able to benefit from being paid the real living wage as well. Other areas around flexible work, um, that's one of our characteristics about promoting flexible work opportunities. and obviously. We've seen an awful lot of distance travel during the pandemic with flexible work arrangements. And initially, um, you know, we had employers saying, oh, gosh, this is going to be really difficult for us to implement this flexible work and for people to work from home during the pandemic. And now it's almost become the norm for many people. But what has been realized is that there are improvements that still need to be made because it's not just a case of equipping people with a laptop and saying, go on, go and work from your home now. Because basically all you've done there is change the location of that work. And we know that people are working on average from research that TimeWise have done, working an extra two hours a day because they've cut out the commutes, but they've filled it now with meetings. And so, you know, there's more work to be done there around thinking about the links to health and well-being as well, making sure people take those breaks during the daytime, they're keeping hydrated, they're exercising as well if they are working from home. And obviously, we've seen as well now many people looking towards hybrid working so that they're trying to capture the best of the elements of working from home, as well as the benefits of perhaps being amongst other people in a, in a kind of office environment or kind of production warehouse environment. Because that's very important as well, is that that sense of community you also get in the office and also making, you know, that's a way of reconnecting with your community so that both sides of those equations, of that equation are important, aren't they? Definitely. And we've seen obvious, you know, links there to health and well-being, which is another one of our characteristics. And so, you know, many of the strategies that people had in place before around health and well-being have been kind of turned on their head now because a lot of those activities were very much based around things that they could do in the work environment. And now people have to think about, well, how do we, where we've got people that are working remotely or they're not coming into the 
kind of the base every day, the headquarters or whatever every day. How do we make them feel included and connected to the organisation so they've got that sense of identity? So we've seen people, you know, kind of doing some different things with that around um, some employers we've had have sent things like a, a tea bag and a biscuit out to their employees and encouraged them that at a particular time of the day to kind of buddy up with another colleague and have a Teams chat with a cup of tea and a coffee just to get to know other people. So that's been that's been quite an interesting one. And then we've also had people that have recognised the fact that people are doing extra hours because they're cutting out the commute. So we've had quite a few employers that have said, do you know what, on a Friday, we're going to finish at two o'clock, three o'clock, just to give people that little bit of an extension to the weekend so they can go and get the shopping done so they're not having to do it over the weekend. And obviously other employers have gone down to four days a week because of that work-life balance as well. So, you know, this past kind of 22 months has been a really interesting time for us and been really timely with us having the charter as well because it's provided a bit of a catalyst that despite the pandemic being kind of horrible, it's also been a catalyst for new ideas and new ways of working. So what do you hope to have as a result of it? Do you hope to have a template or do you hope to have the opposite, which is a kind of a set of principles that allow companies to do kind of what's right for them as long as they're abiding by those principles? Because every company is different. You talk about four days a week, not every company can do that. Depends on the model, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, not every com- not you know if, if you are if you're an organisation that involves making a physical product clearly being in a production location is important. So I guess it's about a print set of a set of principles about by which a company lives. Definitely, and, and the one thing that we're quite proud of with the charter, and I think that's why it's kind of being almost badged as a little bit of a movement because it is like-minded people coming together and it's inclusive. So we don't say that only employers of a certain size or a certain sector can get involved. We welcome employers that are, we've got some that are just kind of like two people right up to the big blue chip organisations. We've got a whole range of different sectors, obviously geography right across Greater Manchester, some that work on the borders of Greater Manchester as well. And what we do when we work with those employers is, you know, we've got a very clear mindset that there isn't a one size fits all. And it's about us working with that employer to understand how the characteristics of the charter will work best within their setting and, you know, what can they implement, you know, out of those characteristics to make it a good place to work. That's working well. And we we have been able to flex our characteristics, you know, still they're still kind of abided by, but we know that there'll be a different kind of way of doing things for a big, large corporate compared to a very small SME or micro business. That's all for today. If you like the podcast, please subscribe in your podcast app. And if you have time, give us a review. If you have a suggestion or question, get in touch on Twitter at TalkTalkGroup. You can follow us there or also on LinkedIn. Thanks a lot for listening.